back to another episode of independent thought my name is desmond price and for today's episode i am joined by erica the host of the cocktails and capitalism podcast erica thank you for coming on the show today how are you doing i'm doing so great i'm so excited to be here with you it's always a pleasure and a joy to talk with you and i respect your your political takes so much um so so yeah really looking forward to this yeah i appreciate you coming on the show you know i we're going to be talking a little bit about like, you know, you and some of the ways that kind of like shapes, you know, who you are as a person and why you believe that capitalism needs to be thrown into the trash. So we're going to get to that (laughs) in a little bit here. But before we get into all of that, first thing I want to do is kind of like introduce like you and your podcast a little bit. So can you just tell us, you know, like what exactly is cocktails and capitalism? Why did you decide to start this show? Yeah, of course. So Cocktails and Capitalism is a podcast that pairs crafted beverages with stories distilled from our capitalist hellscape. So essentially what we do is we we dive into a story, a topic that shines light on a certain aspect of capitalism, on um, the medical industry, on the military industrial complex, on um, the housing market, um, all kinds of things. Um, And then with every story that we dive into, we pair it with a drink that is kind of thematically tied to the the topic somehow, Um, which kind of, since the material is so heavy and dark sometimes, since we're talking about some of the horrible consequences of profit-making schemes, um, the cocktail really helps to just keep it light and fun and yeah. I don't know. It helps my anxiety too. Cause I have a lot of that when I'm doing this kind of work. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, something that I think that we all deal with to a certain degree, I know that I do personally. And, yeah. you know, when it comes to, I guess the theme of the podcast, you know, like mm-hmm. anti-capitalism, <laughs> how did you, I guess, like come to that place, you know, specifically, like what exactly led up to you becoming anti-capitalist and what do you think needs to change in our country? And maybe just you know, let's let's keep it in our country instead of going like global perspective here. Why do you think we need to shift away from capitalism? Yeah. Okay. So the first part, um, you were asking about uh, how I came to my anti-capitalist viewpoint, right? Um, so basically, I I grew up overseas. I grew up in Indonesia, um, in a country that was you know rampant poverty, really really horrific degrees of poverty that that you know, we're seeing a little bit more of that now in America than we were a few decades ago. But um, yeah, it it was, it's to such another degree that um, where you pass people that are limbless and begging on the streets all the time, um, things that would just kind of rip your heart out all the time. And that, seeing that, seeing that I was like a very relatively really fucking well-off person living in this country full of totally impoverished people um i started to kind of question the fairness of the economic model that we we were born into you know why is it that i can live like this and all these people have nothing and their life is you know a constant struggle so 
and then I also saw just the 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 horrors being unleashed by mega corporations over in Indonesia that were just flattening, leveling whole rainforests that are, you know, one of the most ecologically diverse places on the planet with these gorgeous, gorgeous rainforests with some like the most interesting animals and plants and, you know, waterfalls, just the most magical spaces that I've ever inhabited were over there. Um, so to to know that these places were being totally ruined for things like palm oil, you know, yeah. where these companies are coming in and huge swaths of rainforest are just completely gone because of that. And slowly just that's just more and more of that whole country. Um, I I immediately was thinking as like a young child that this is very unsustainable. Like, obviously, we can't keep doing this. It's it's a, you know, quick profit making scheme that isn't going to uh, be something that we can keep doing year after year. So so I just I started to really question, you know, what what are the problems? What what are the systemic issues that are creating these huge um, inequalities and this this massive ecocide on a huge scale? So um, and I. I really, I think it it was going back to um, diving into kind of academic journals, into um, political theory texts, um, you know, reading a lot of Marx, reading a lot of Nietzsche. Um, I I studied philosophy and political theory, and so I started to really look at like, you know, political economic textbooks that were kind of trying to break down what what is happening with capitalism, what what are the mechanisms within capitalism that produce these kinds of horrors that I'm seeing all around me? Um, and, and I found that, wow, people have thought these things out in depth from hundreds of years ago. Um, you know, all of the things that I, I felt were wrong, people have already laid out how they're wrong and, and given the language to understand these things. So, so I think pairing my, my, my concrete experience as a child in um you know in in the global south with the the book learning that i did with um you know some of the activism that i got involved with when i went to undergraduate school um i got very heavily involved with the movement to sever ties with the nuclear weapons labs mm. uh, because the uc system manages the two nuclear nuclear design weapons labs in the US. So, and I was like, this is, this is so wrong. How are we just putting our stamp of approval on every bomb? This, we, we can't, we have to get rid of this. Um, so that kind of also gave me some of the, a, a sense for praxis and how to engage in the world to try to combat some of these, um, you know, destructive money-making things that are happening. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, that, that's, that kind of grounded my my viewpoint um i came to the show i well i decided that i wanted to do i wanted to write a book about capitalism where every chapter would be a different aspect of you know the medical system or financial system the housing market um all kinds of aspects what you know, looking at homelessness looking at hunger in america um and 
And I, I was kind of gearing up for writing a book like that. And then my friend asked me, do you want to start a podcast? And I was like, fuck yeah. Like I already know what I want to do. Every episode I like, you know, <laughs> this will, this will map onto podcast, um, the podcast layout so well to talk about a different topic under capitalism every episode. So, um, yeah, and it's been going really great. I've been enjoying it a lot and bringing people into the fold. So, <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, from a, like, um, from a podcast perspective, like I got sucked into like, just like the diversity of topics that you mm. have on the show. And so I thought that was really nice that you kind of like go at it from so many different angles. But I think sometimes, you know, like when I hear people having this conversation, you know, like in my personal world, people always talk about like, all right, well, if capitalism, you know, like needs to go, then like exactly like what exactly do we need to, what what exactly do we change? Like what has to be uh -huh. put into place to change the dynamics here? What, what do you think needs to change in America in order for there to be, I guess, the groundwork for capitalism to go away? I, I mean, I think the... The core of it is that we need to seize the power back from corporations because, yeah, mega corporations are running everything that happens around us. They're running the political sphere. They're determining what kind of medicines are on the market. You know, they every aspect of our life is being in some way governed by um, com companies that are trying to. Uh, extract wealth in every single way that they possibly can. So um, uh, I, I feel like I got a little scattered there. Uh, what was I going to say? Shoot, sorry. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so I guess the main thing that needs to change is that we need to find ways to start building power outside of, you know, the, the judicial system that is captured by, uh, you know, for-profit interests, um, the political system that's captured by for-profit interests. Um, and, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about some of these things later in this conversation, talking about mutual aid and stuff, but yeah, that, that's, that looks like, that can look like a lot of different things that can look like people showing up on the street to bring food to homeless people that are in need, um, you know, it can it can look like showing up um, and protesting the development of a new pipeline that is is going to hurt indigenous communities near you. You know, um, I think like we need to have a very diverse range of tactics because capitalism is so deeply ingrained in every aspect of our lives that if we don't come at it from all angles with every single approach that we can think of it's just it's never going to go away you know <laughs> until we we just ruin ourselves um you know kill ourselves off with uh this very unsustainable way that we're heading you know <laughs> no no i understand that and this is actually i think the the last like point i want to dig into this with you on here you you were talking about how when you were overseas like you were just having like your worldview change you know like mm -hmm. seeing how capitalism was in essence, kind of destroying this country's, you know, like ecosystem and just like seeing all these people who are struggling over there. Yeah. When you got back to America and mm -hmm. the stark contrast, as I'm sure that it is, mm -hmm. what were some of the thoughts that were going through your head about like, just like how this country, I guess, like how this country exists and how it actually affects other countries around the world? 
Yeah. I, um, I guess it coming back to America made me really question the vast wealth and privilege that we are able to enjoy here, which is, is largely extracted from the cheap labor and from the resources that come from developing countries from, from the global South. So understanding that everything that we get to enjoy here as Americans, all of the luxuries, you know, the fact that we can just go out and buy whatever cheap product that we want, whenever we want, we can order it on Amazon. It shows up at our door immediately. Like this is all underpinned by extracted wealth in the form of labor and resources from countries that don't have as much as us and that are getting fucked over by us, you know, <laughs> where, where we are displacing their, their way of life, their livelihoods, um, going in with companies that then say, oh, I, I'm going to, you can't farm here. You can't farm using these plants because we've, we've patented all these things, you know? Um, so there's just so much of what we get to appreciate and enjoy here is only because it's being taken from someplace else. So if, and recognizing that after living overseas, it really drove home for me that this economic system is hugely unfair. Uh, it's, it's unequal and it's unfair, like that we, we need to be doing better for each other and not just engage in a system that is all about, you know, the survival of the fittest, whoever, whoever has the, you know, is the most ruthless capitalist is going to be the winner, you know? Right. Um, so I, did I, did I answer your question there? Absolutely. No, absolutely. Okay. I, you know, when it comes to your podcast in particular, Cocktails and Capitalism, I think when I was, I was telling you before, when I was scrolling through the different episodes, you know, like mm -hmm. me personally, I'm always like going through like, okay, let me find the right title. Let me like read the episode description. Mm -hmm. Like which one of these is going to like be one that I resonate with. And I was going yeah. through and some of the ones that stood out to me were like, you were talking about oil spills, you know, like um, what was Chevron what was it down in yeah. South America. And mm -hmm. there was a, uh, another one talking about like the red Hill, like leak over in Hawaii. Yeah. It, uh, those two stuck out to me particularly. So I definitely wanted to check those out. And yeah. those are two of the episodes that I want to ask you about when we come back from this break. Okay. So we'll be yeah. right back after a few moments. Everyone, please stay tuned. Betty's Divine is a locally owned boutique on the magnificent hip strip in downtown Missoula, Montana that has been a fixture in the Mountain West since 2005. We have a fondness for vintage inspired clothing, shoes and accessories for humans, as well as the real deal found in our vintage department, Divine Trash. Betty's Divine presents a snapshot of Northwest styles with an emphasis on street, skate, surf and rock and roll culture, as well as Americana classics. Alongside a radical selection of clothing, Betty's Divine offers a damn fine array of shoes, jewelry, records, and accessories to satisfy any taste, whatever your age or vibe. You can count on us to prioritize financial, social, and environmental responsibility without sacrificing the look. Visitors enjoy a lovely atmosphere, dreamy tunes, and the best customer service in the West. And you can shop us online at bettysdivine.com. thought listeners has this past year helped you rediscover your creative and crafty side well then you're going to love our sponsor for today's episode 
Bathing Beauties Beads is a full-service bead shop in the heart of downtown Missoula. Whether it's seed beads, semi-precious stones, vintage beads, or just materials to make a project, they have something for every person and every price range. Not from Missoula? Don't worry. They have an extensive online store and they will ship directly to you. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, they'll welcome you and help you make your next project a reality. You can find them online at Bathing Beauties Beads on Instagram and Facebook or at bathingbeautiesbeads.com. And don't forget to use offer code INDEPENDENTTHOUGHT at checkout to save 15% on your order. Welcome back from the break, everyone. Thank you for sticking with us through this episode of Independent Thought. So before the break, we were talking about some of the episodes in particular that I caught interest to. And mm-hmm. so I kind of want to start out with those because that was like what first like wanted me to like reach out to you in the first place. I was just like, oh, like these are, let me just give a little backstory on myself quickly mm-hmm. here. Just give me a yeah. quick second here. When I decided to do this podcast, Independent Thought, one of the motivations behind it was covering stories that other people weren't covering or weren't mm-hmm. covering enough. You know, I was like, where are the stories at that people just refuse to touch, you know, in more detail? That's actually what first drew me into the unionization efforts in for Amazon down in Alabama in 2021. Yeah. And I was just like, no one is talking about this. Why is no one talking about this? This is a huge story. <laughs> and so when I came to your podcast and I saw you were doing the exact same thing, like this, this story about <laughs> Chevron, for instance, I was like, my people, <laughs> like, <laughs> Yay, like, this is exactly awesome. what I'm looking for that, you know, I, yeah. I, I have a huge like, affinity just for people who are willing to do these types of things, cover the stories that need to be mm-hmm. told that aren't getting coverage. So yeah. with that set up here, Chevron episode, can mm-hmm. you just tell people, for those who are unaware, what exactly was happening with Chevron down in South America and why was it important for you to talk about it? Yeah, absolutely. Can you hear that sound in the background? I hope that's not too, too annoying. Okay, cool. So yeah, Chevron, this is, I think, one of the most important stories I've had the chance to dive into. And I dove in really deep because it's complicated. It's very complicated. The The, the core of it is simple, um, but the details are very complex. So basically what, what Chevron did is they... Well, it was first Texaco and then the company became Chevron. They, Chevron bought Texaco. Um, but they went down to Ecuador where they they extracted, I think, billions of gallons of oil. Um, and they, in doing this, in order to save money, they refused to use all of their patented, like their techniques that they had developed in the US to dispose of waste instead of do, using those techniques that they had developed, they thought, oh, that's going to be too expensive. And, you know, it's in Ecuador, so we don't have to do those things. So they basically, with every well that they drilled, they had open pits just on the surface of the earth around these wells where they would just dump oil waste. And <laughs> the, the you know, I'm forgetting the exact numbers because it's, it's millions of gallons that they've actually admitted to, like 17 million gallons that they admitted to dumping yeah. um, into open pits in the rainforest. 
but the the actual numbers are vastly vastly bigger this is just what they would admit and you know confess to in court right um but so this this story it's absolutely tragic because the ecuadorian amazon rainforest is again one of the most ecologically important places on the planet has so much diversity um you know so many cures for different diseases and things are probably hidden in that forest that we haven't even found you know um and and chevron texaco was just dumping waste out there and it was infusing the plants um indigenous communities out in the rainforest were being completely displaced because of this rampant um rampant pollution that that covered an area the size of rhode island um yeah, absolutely fucking insane. They were dumping the oil onto onto roadways, like hundreds of miles of roadways just covered in slick oil where you can't you 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 can't even walk around on it cuz it's so slippery and sticky. Um and all of these indigenous folks and and local farmers are all of a sudden seeing rampant you know so much cancer, like the cancer rates near these these drill sites were 10 times what they were any place else on the country. So um, so you see women that are having to remove their uteruses because of you know the cancer that they're getting. You're seeing uh, uh, children, tons of children with leukemia, over a thousand documented deaths from this 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 incredible pollution. Um, but the actual numbers of deaths again is like so much more vast. So this this is one of those stories where you're not hearing about it in spite of the fact that it is orders of magnitude bigger than the BP disaster in the right. Gulf of Mexico. It's it's hundred like I think it was a thousand times what Exxon spilled uh, in the Exxon Valdez um, spill, and yeah, like just we no one has heard about this, and the reason why no one has heard about this. Um, kind of going back to what you're saying about the stories that people aren't covering. The reason why no one is hearing about this is because there is so much fossil fuel money in our corporate media. So, you know, <laughs> if a if a newspaper is getting a bunch of money from Chevron, they're not going to publish a really nasty story about the horrors that they're in- unleashing upon indigenous people down in Ecuador. They don't have an interest in doing that. Um, so, a lot of the time, the reason why the stories that I cover like this, like Red Hill, are such small stories, it's not because they're small occurrences. They're actually much bigger and much more devastating than some of the things that you have heard about on corporate media. But they're not being covered because it's not in the interest of these people that are getting money from these corporations. So this is another another aspect of society that is captured by corporate wealth <laughs> um yeah and and it's it's interesting because i i think some so many people are unaware of just how tied together uh i guess what i refer to as like the corporate media the mainstream media is tied up with some of these mega corporations i remember yeah i think it was i don't want to say what outlet it was you know in case i'm wrong here but i remember mm-hmm. reading a major outlets uh publication a few months back and like at the underneath the article itself it said 
powered by Lockheed Martin. And I was like, oh, well, you know, just not even hiding it anymore. All right. Uh, which, you know, perfectly yeah. ties into this next story because the next story that I also caught my eye was what happened at Red Hill, you know, mm-hmm. completely intertwined with the United States Navy. And, and so, again, kind of the same question as the last one. What exactly happened at Red Hill and why was this story important for you to cover? Yeah, totally. Um, this is such such another devastating story. Um, so basically the Navy built this, this fuel storage facility called Red Hill, a hundred feet above the sole source aquifer for Oahu. Um, for many of the people living on Oahu, one of the islands on Hawaii. Um, they, this facility can store up to 250 million gallons of, of toxic fuel. So jet fuel, and, um, I forget what the other kind of, uh, diesel and marine diesel. So the, the fuels that are being used by ships and, you know, to be ready for wartime basically, and to be ready to control the whole Pacific region, you know? Um, so this is a strategic outpost for the U.S. Navy, where they built this this uh, uh, this um, s- fuel storage facility, and <laughs> stupidly they build it right above the the water source for all these people, and it starts leaking, of course. Um, and there have been so many. I mean, just uh, I'm trying to remember how how much actual fuel has leaked, but that is not well documented because they don't even they weren't documenting these things that they, they were just like, well, we know there's a plume of fuel that has leaked, but we can't really even tell you where it is or how much fuel is there. Um, but then all of a sudden the, the you know, Kanaka Maoli Hawaiians, the indigenous Hawaiian folks around there and some of the veterans um, and service folk who are living on Oahu start having rashes. They start having headaches they start having all kinds of crazy symptoms. Their their kids are getting sick. Um, they can't think clearly, and and the Navy just keeps covering it up and covering it up and covering it up. Of course, like they want to do. Um, so it really took the work of some of the folks that I was able to interview from the Oahu Water Protectors, who are also who started a mutual aid group um, called. Uh, oh gosh, no, I'm I'm blanking on it. Red Hill Mutual Aid. Um, I think it's that. But uh, but yeah, so they were incredibly affected by this crisis. And then they really mobilized to bring water to the folks that were being affected, to push back against what the Navy was doing, and to shut down this facility for good. And and since we recorded this episode, there's actually been, um, you know, the Navy has said that they are going to shut down the facility, that they they recognize that this is a big problem that has poisoned thousands and thousands of people. Um, and they're, they're in the process of doing that, but we know that they have been trying to hide information about what they're doing this whole time. So, so the Oahu water protectors, Mikey and Aiden, the folks that I was talking with on that episode, they are still kind of on high alert and still mobilized and ready to fight this until they permanently shut down this facility that is poisoning people poisoning the land, making it, you know, unlivable for both humans and non-human life, you know? So, right. yeah. and it's, it's devastating seeing stories like that. 
Yeah. You know, it just feels like just time and time again, like these stories seem to just get swept underneath the rug. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, one of the things I also, I wanted to transition away from your podcast for a brief mm-hmm. second, because yeah. I want to talk about some of the stuff that you talk about on Instagram as well. <laughs> uh, for those who are unaware, uh, Erica is a pretty decent, big <laughs> presence on Instagram and you're, and you're constantly coming back to certain topics. And, and one of the ones that you come back to pretty consistently is talking about Palestine. Yeah. And so- I wanted to ask you this question, kind of like um, specifically, why is Palestine, uh, I guess, like a, a topic that you consistently come back to? Like we we know, I guess, in a sense of like what is happening over there, I guess, to a small degree, but mm-hmm. but why, I guess, the plight of those people that makes you consistently want to come back and keep talking about what's happening to them over there? Yeah, this that's a really great question, and um, it's for a number of reasons. Um, first, it's it's an indigenous struggle. And I think indigenous struggles all around the world are very important, um, are a very important part of the resistance to capitalism. And they were, they were, had ways of living before capitalism came in and tried to displace their way of life. Um, and they have, you, you know, knowledge about how to live sustainably, how to live in harmony with our ecosystems. Um, so they, they kind of hold some of the answers for how do we get out of capitalism as well? Um, and so it's an indigenous population of Palestinian folks who are, um, a lot of them are, are literally trapped in this place that is, and, you know, Gaza has been called an open air prison and it is constantly being bombed by apartheid Israel. So Israel you know, in addition to being a settler colonial state that is coming in and trying to genocide the indigenous Palestinian people, steal their land like we did in America here. Um, This is happening right now. It's not in the past. This is an ongoing uh, struggle between settler colonial regime and an indigenous population. Um, But not only that, but the apartheid Israel is using Palestine as a testing ground for their weaponry. So they they have these huge weapons manufacturing businesses that are um that are involved with the oppression oppression of Palestinian people through drones that are surveilling them and shooting kids on the beach that are just playing uh you know the hor- horrific things where and these companies like Elbit literally market themselves as battle tested and they do that because they have tried them they have tested all these weapons on indigenous people and <laughs> uh on, on the palestinian people and and so many of them um are children like the palestinian population is largely made up of children so they are literally testing their weapons to sell on a global international market on the bodies of Palestinian children and uh, you know indigenous folks that are there who have been displaced from their land who keep seeing their water and their resources stolen from them um so it's just it is a fucking nightmare that needs to be highlighted for the sheer cause of social justice but it is also kind of like a a microcosm of the horrors that capitalism unleashes when when there is a motivation to produce weapons for profit, you know? (laughs) So, and, 
it's the weapons that they're producing and the drones that they're producing are being used to monitor um, the the movement of uh, immigrants into England, you know, into into the UK. They're they're being used along the border wall in the US. Like yeah. these these technologies that are being developed and used on Palestinians, they are going to be used against us, you know, against against people around the world who are either, you know, fighting to satisfy their needs or fighting for their liberation or fighting for environmental justice. These kinds of technologies are going to be used to oppress um, and kill people that are doing this kind of work. So our the struggle of Palestinian people is the struggle that a struggle that we all need to identify with and see as something that we take part in, even if we don't, even if it feels distant, you know? Um, so that, I, I hope I articulated that well. I feel like there's way more to that story that I haven't even, haven't even touched on there. But um, I think those are some of the core reasons why Palestine is so important to me, to this anti-capitalist project, to so many uh, folks who are concerned about the direction that capitalism is headed and um and imperialism and settler colonialism and all that shit <laughs> no and I, I appreciate you taking the time to explain all that i mean it is something that you know understandably given the scope of our media we don't get the like both sides of the story when it comes yeah. to the israel and palestine conflict it is just the israel side of the story and that's yeah. like the end of the story so even for me I don't feel completely knowledgeable about like the Palestinian side of the story. I feel like just in yeah. the recent years, I've even come to understand their plight because I think that is the level of like propaganda that we've gotten over the yeah. years across the entire country. It's just like, there's one side to the story, the end. Yeah. And so kind of transitioning back to your podcast though here, I, I asked you earlier in the year when we first met, uh, about like what were some of your favorite episodes, mm -hmm. you know, of your podcast at the time? You told me it was this uh, modern Cinderella episode, or <laughs> I think they were they were a two part episode. Mm -hmm. But you have since told me that that has changed, and that you have a new favorite episode now mm -hmm. that is focused on mutual aid. Uh, tell me exactly why has that now become your favorite, and does it have a link to what we were just talking about with Palestine at all? Um. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, it, let me see. Well, the two, the, the modern Cinderella's episodes, capitalism kills love and love kills capitalism are still, you know, high up there and, and <laughs> they're, they're very near and dear to my heart because I think they kind of encapsulate some of the, the, what, what capitalism looks like on a individual and family and societal level. Like, what does it look like in your home? How does it affect the way that our families and communities are structured? So we, we really address that there. And I think that kind of, it connects a lot with the mutual aid episode because, um, you know, as we talk about in, in the episodes with Ellie, uh, who from the Modern Cinderella's podcast, who did such a brilliant job of explaining, you know, the connections between love and capitalism, um, and and the family unit. Um, uh, she like, we went really deep into how basically capitalism 
dictates that we live in these in these nuclear family units that are also financial units um and and it also is wholly underpinned by the unpaid care labor largely of women so so much of what we see you know so much of the um actual workings of our economy that we're used to looking at as this is what the economy is like that is dependent on the fact that there's someone at home who's washing the dishes, cooking the food, doing the laundry, taking care of raising the children, all of that shit. Um, so, and, and she was trying to kind of point us towards like, you don't have to subscribe to this family unit model. You can think of, um, society and connection and love in a totally different way. You can, you can love your friends. You don't have to have a hierarchical love for just your romantic partner. And then friendship is down here. And, you know, like there's, you can, and, and part of doing that work is starting to form these stronger ties with people that aren't just in your, in your nuclear family unit. So that, that really ties into the mutual aid concept because mutual aid work is all about like organizing, coming together to satisfy the needs that society isn't fulfilling. So yeah, showing up with food for your unhoused neighbors, showing up and defending them when the police are trying to kick them out of their, you know, their home on the street, you know, <laughs> um, providing, uh, you know, community defense, support in all these ways, that kind of, that kind of community is so what we need to be reestablishing to kind of break away from these isolated family units where we, we don't, we're not really in touch with each other. We don't really have community and we're not looking out for each other. It's all, you know, I'm providing for my family and that's it. Uh, everything else doesn't really matter. Like, so some of the work that we need to be doing to break out of capitalism is starting to form those networks, those bonds, and doing that by stepping up for people around us and and helping them out of hard places. So um, I, I don't know if I explained that very well, but um, I think this is some of the, like, instead of just focusing on the horrors of capitalism, also focusing on some of the pathways forward. Um, these stories, I think, did a brilliant job of illuminating other ways of existing in this world and starting to um starting to starting to realize the reality that you want in the present you know so you can start building towards a bigger you know a, uh expanding that reality in the future um i i feel like what, what did i miss in your question there <laughs> no you didn't, you didn't miss it i was actually kind of impressed because i was like oh those two episodes are actually like perfectly joined together so i mean they kind of <laughs> they almost like have a synchronicity to them you know <laughs> let me uh let me close out by by asking you this about your podcast mm. um spent a lot of time the last like you know a few questions talking about your favorite episodes why these things mm. matter uh exactly like why you came to them but but let's just summarize all of this. Like, why mm. do these stories matter? And, and I I frame it like this: We mm. as a as a nation are constantly focusing on things like inflation and uh, gas prices and CRT and you know is crime too yeah. high? You know, like these are always yeah. the question. These are always like the the stories that we're constantly being bombarded with by the mainstream media, by talking heads, so on and so forth. These are the stories that never get talked about. 
Why do these need to be elevated? Yeah. Um, I think, I think these are the kinds of stories that show the, the consequences of living in a world that is driven by the profit motive. Um, and in economic terms that people often call it externalities. So what are the like kind of external costs of what you're doing? Um, the externalities of Chevron and Ecuador dumping fuel into the soil and, and just, you know, they're not taking on that cost and they refuse to pay for the damages that they've caused. They are, they're pushing that cost onto everyone around them, you know, uh, onto the earth, onto native people, onto local people. So, um, I think a lot of these stories are so important because they point out those, those unforeseen and uh, often ignored consequences of business as usual, you know? Um, and if we're not looking at those things, we are just in a zero sum game. <laughs> you know, like we are going to ruin our, ourselves as a species. We're going to ruin our ecosystems. Um, so we need to be thinking about like, what are the bigger costs of what we're doing? And I think shining light on some of the actual concrete stories and the actual people that are in these struggles that are, you know, the indigenous folks down in Ecuador that are fighting this or the native Hawaiian folks who are fighting the the Navy that is poisoning them. You know, right. these these kinds of externalities need to be dragged into the spotlight because the corporate media is not going to do it. <laughs> you know, um, True. W- we need to do it ourselves as concerned people that care about uh, the future of this planet and the people around us, you know? So, I mean, I... I love that that is something that you're so concerned about, um, you know, shining light on the, the often overlooked stories. Um, and I'm, it's, it's really nice to be able to do that in collaboration with other folks, because we need to be like building these networks of communication, amplifying each other as we've been doing for each other, which I love. You know? Right. Right. Um, and if we don't do that, we're fucked because, because <laughs> corporate media has a stranglehold on our, collective consciousness and if if we can't be heard then you know it's it's i don't know it's a bleak future i think <laughs> you're, you're not wrong about that i've um <laughs> i've often thought about what exactly needs to change in order for things to get better and uh there's a there's a lot to be said about that i yeah. i think but we might have to say that for for an epilogue <laughs> or something of that effect oh, yeah uh erica thank you so much for coming on the show today i really do appreciate it uh for those who are interested where can they learn more about you and where can they find your podcast at online oh totally um yeah so you can search for cocktails and capitalism online um we're on apple spotify google pocket cast all of those wherever you get your podcasts we're there um i'm very active on instagram as you've mentioned um, that's where kind of, I do most of my outreach and stuff and, and just kind of putting the word out about what, what episodes are coming out and things like that. Um, so yeah, please go follow us cocktails and capitalism on Instagram. Um, I'm on Twitter at cocked capitalism because I couldn't spell it all out. <laughs> it's kind of awkward. <laughs> um, and, uh, we've got a Patreon if you want to support the work that we're doing. Um, it, you know, that really helps a lot because I'm not 
taking advertisements. I'm trying to really do um, a good job of monetizing in a way that I feel um, is ethical and sound and, and fair. So, um, so yeah, we got that. Um, and yeah, I'm not sure where else people can plug in. I think those are all the main, main spots. <laughs> all right. And for those who are interested, those links will be in the episode description. So if you click on awesome. the episode description now, you will see those links. Thank you to oh, yeah. everyone for checking out this episode. Uh, if you liked the episode, please go ahead and share it on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, uh, tag Independent Thought or Cocktails and Capitalism or both. <laughs> yeah. And be sure to tune in for the next episode. We will see you next time. Awesome. Cheers. <laughs>So Erica, once again, we are doing another one of these epilogue segments here. You know, I didn't even realize that the last time that we did one of these, it went like well, like 15 minutes, I think. Kind of it felt like <laughs> it felt like it flew by, but then again, I can yeah. I can talk. So it's just that's just a thing. So <laughs> that was really fun. I uh, there was a question that I meant to ask you uh in the rest of the recording that I kind of like glossed over and I didn't mm. want to let the recording go without us talking about it here. Mm. And you know how I'm, I'm not really big into editing episodes. So I yeah. was just like, let me just, I'll just tack it on at the end. We'll just call it good. We'll call it good. Perfect. Um, unity on the left. Mm. This is something mm. that I wanted to ask you about because it, it feels like it's a little more important now than ever. I personally have been seeing this, like, I guess like um, compounding effect on the right, where it seems like they're all kind of coming together, coalescing around, you know, different ideas, but they, they seem like they're in lockstep with everything. Mm -hmm. And when I feel like I look at people who are on the left, it just feels like there are so many people who are willing just to kind of give up on the process of being together in any way, shape or form. And Uh I I don't know, like I, on, on one hand, I understand where some of it comes from. Like I've had people DM me about this and they'll talk yeah. about like Democratic Party is corrupt for X, Y, and Z reason. They don't represent yeah. us. Yeah. They, you know, like are, they're just as intertwined with corporate interests as Republicans are. And they are also like, they're full, like cap, full on capitalists for the people who do not find themselves to be capitalists. And like, yeah. I get all of that, but I also see like the bigger picture where it's like, Unfortunately, in the system that we are currently in, until we change it, and I and I think we can yeah. change it, but until we change it, not voting just empowers the right. And <laughs> yeah. the last time I checked, for all the issues you might have with Democrats, Republicans mm-hmm. are worse. Like, and they don't <laughs> talk about it. They are going to do it. Like, they have plans in place. Like, they're oh, ready yeah. to pounce. And it's just like. When you saw what happened with the Supreme Court being overturned, when you hear what they, what they want to do with Social Security and with Medicare, it's just like, they don't just talk about these things. They're going to do it. I just, yeah, I don't know. It feels counterproductive to me. What What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, we already know that the right is consolidating power and they have been, you know, through every, every avenue, you know, through gerrymandering, through, um, you know, very like restrictive voter laws that that often target people of color um you know through laws that are are taking the rights away from trans folks i mean like they are they are consolidating their power in the most like cynical dark fucked up way 
And so, and I know all the horrible things about the Democrats. I know they're in bed with corporations, like, of course, you know, like I'm not an idiot, but, you know, but there is still to me, like the lesser of two evils thing is important because if there, if there's one evil that is killing a lot of people and one evil that's killing less people, I want less people to die. You know, like if, if trans people are under attack, if, if voting rights for people of color are under attack, um, you know, if, if our reproductive freedoms are on the chopping block, like what do, what is stopping us from using the little bit of power that we have within the current system to try to do some damage control, mitigate some of this, this horrific, um, you know, backslide that we, we have, we're seeing into kind of more, uh, fascistic, uh, bigoted ways of, of doing politics. Like, uh, I feel like it's our duty to, to step up and do every little thing that we possibly can. And I'm, and obviously voting is just one of those things. It's, it's a small thing, large, you know, um, but when we're all doing it together, it can be a big thing. And it can mean the difference between, uh, you know, trans folks being able to, to live their lives or being under attack by, (laughs) by their communities, you know, like these laws that are trying to be passed by Republicans, they are emboldening folks to do horrific things to, to vulnerable communities. So yeah, I, I see no point in, in handing away that power, even though it's small. Um, I just, you know, I, I want people to show up to the polls, but also show up and organize, show up, organize their workplaces, organize their communities, um, show up for the unhoused folks that are in their communities. I mean, there are so many things that you can be doing apart from voting, but if you're not just participating in voting, why hand that power away from someone who wishes death upon the communities that you care about? Like, why why let the Republicans have that? I, I'm not going to do it, you know? No, um, no. And I... I, I think I, I try to like read between the lines here when it comes to some of these concerns that people have. Cause I, I think people are worried about like the fact that the only answer is just to vote. And, yeah. and I understand that fear yeah. because you know they're correct in that assessment. If you just keep voting for Democrats, things aren't gonna change. And you're right yeah. about that. If you if that's all that we do, you know, yeah. if you're only just voting and nothing else, then yes, the status quo remains. But it, it's not a binary in that sense. Like you mm-hmm. have to be able to understand that while the system is this way, you have to work within it. And yeah. then at the exact same time, you can also be working on a separate track to be changing <laughs> the system. So, I mean, like it, it, in essence, I hate like framing it this way, but you have to play the game. Yeah. You know, like you have yeah. to realize that like while we're stuck here, we have to like work within the confines of the system, but you can change the system at the same time. I see things like ranked choice voting helping. I yeah. think that would decouple the power structures of both parties. And that would yeah. essentially take a brick out of the wall. You know, talking about mutual aid, for instance, that does really empower a lot of people to kind of like free up themselves to live a better and more sustainable life. Yeah. And honestly, I think some of what we're doing in this moment is also going to be helpful. Like Mm -hmm. the level of propaganda that is disseminated from corporate media is incredibly powerful. And I think what needs to happen is that more 
like voices who are able to cut through that noise, being mm-hmm. elevated and being able to talk to people about the issues on both sides of the aisle. And so yeah. that we can talk about exactly how people are being manipulated. That's also yeah. going to help in the long run because people, they can only operate with the information that they have. And yeah. so the people who have more information, I think have an obligation to step up and disseminate that information. Yeah. And so that's totally. something that I'm also very much, you know, in trying to be more involved in, but obviously there's, there's issues like, you know, like you were saying before, like you need money to do all of these things, unfortunately. Yeah. You know, yeah. it, it's, it's kind of a, it's almost poetic in a dark sense that you, you need money to kind of like abolish capitalism. So. <laughs> I mean, I think you could do it without money if you had enough people on your side, but you know, money always helps to get people on your side too. So <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I mean, I think, you know, going back a little bit to what you were saying earlier on about like leftist unity like a lot of what I see is like on the left is activist gatekeeping and gatekeeping leftism, like which fucking blows my mind, makes me, it drives me crazy, makes me want to rip my hair out because we really need to be like lowering the barrier to entry for folks to get involved, to get, you know, politically involved, to get involved in organizing. We need to make these things welcoming, not hostile not um you know you you don't you don't bring someone to your side by telling them you're a stupid liberal and all of your views are pointless and you know you're so naive <laughs> you know that you you could push someone farther to the right farther to fascism you can, <laughs> and and i've seen this happen so if we want to be building power on the left we need to be thinking more about community, collectivism, how to see beyond our differences, because there's plenty of them on the left. We are are a messy, complicated bunch, you know, with all kinds of different political ideologies, all kinds of different viewpoints and approaches. I think what we need more of is just a general acceptance of that diversity on the left and, and like, and then a desire to uplift other people, even if they're not doing the exact same approach as you, you know, (laughs) don't, don't shit on your neighbor because they're not, you know, spouting the same theory as you, (laughs) you know, like, yeah, I, I personally, I don't get it, you know, because (laughs) I know from my own experience, there are some people who I've talked to who are more left than I am that when I talk to them about why I feel the way that I feel, or, you know, like my stance on certain issues, it's almost like there's like a talking down to that commences afterwards. Yeah. You know, this uh, is like this holier than thou mentality. I know more than you. You are wrong. I cannot express enough just how absolutely counterproductive that way of communication is yeah. on any level, on any yeah. level. Like <laughs> at no point in any conversation is demeaning somebody going to make them more apt to listen to what you have to say. It really doesn't. And I'm also always thrown, just kind of thrown aback by people who are just so just like entrenched in arrogance. You know, it's just like, you are just completely convinced that your way of thinking is the only way of thinking. Mm -hmm. And that's the end all be all. (laughs) How do you expect to grow that way? I mean, not, not just like yourself, but grow your movement. 
you know, you have to be able to talk to people and meet them where they're at. This is kind of like the point that I was trying to make when we, when I came onto your podcast, yeah. I was talking to people who are on the right. It's uh-huh. like, how am I supposed to actually, you know, let, let me just backtrack a second. When I'm talking yeah. to about any issue that I think needs to have a change in the world, talking about like mm-hmm. healthcare, talking about education, talking about anything. Yeah. There are already people who are on my side. I don't need to convince them that this is an important <laughs> issue because they're already there. You know, yeah. I need to convince yeah. people who are not there. And mm-hmm. like, how are you going to convince people who are not there that they should come over to your side of the issue if you're talking to them like they're children or if yeah. you're talking to them like yeah. they're idiots? It's just, there's, that doesn't make any sense. And it's just like, yeah. I, I don't know. It, it's it's beyond me that people don't seem to grasp that. It feels almost like they'd rather just take their frustrations out on other people than actually build yeah. this coalition that they know they need to change things. Yeah. And I mean, in some on some level, I get it. Like I'm frustrated too. Like I want my take to be understood by people. I'm I'm frustrated with the direction that the world is headed in. And I want to just like you know, get a megaphone and say like, fuck, we're doing things wrong, you know, like, but that if, if I want to be heard, if I want to have an actual discussion where people are learning anything from me, I have to also be willing to learn from them and leave a little bit of that space to hear them, hear where they're at, to respect their viewpoint, to validate where they're coming from, in addition to adding something new, like, like, and I feel like if we're not doing that, then we're, we're wasting our time and just, yeah, preaching to the choir. So, yeah, I mean, and granted, there's gonna be some people who you just can't reach, right? Yeah, Cause I sure. think some people like, are operating from a place of just like bigotry or they're operating from a place of yeah. just denialism or their ego so wrapped up in their ideology that they refuse to change. But there's a lot of people who are operating off of either fear or lack of knowledge. Yeah. And if yeah. you're able to identify that and uncouple it you might find that someone who you thought you didn't have a whole lot in common with is more willing to not only listen to you but may just see it exactly the way you're speaking to it if you actually talk to them like a person yeah yeah it's totally it's crazy but yeah i I think i wanted to talk to you about that because i know that like we've talked about this before you know i think we're we're both on the left but i don't think we're in the exact same position but it feels as though like there's just not enough conversations on the left about coming together and yeah. that's something that i definitely wanted to you know bring you know bring that back up with you because yeah. it, it needs to be talked about more you know i feel as though if the left truly wants to make any kind of ground they're not going to do it separate and I, and I think that needs to really be you know just like talked about again and again and again yeah yeah and it's one of those those issues where I feel like a broken fucking record because I bring it up so much on my show and I just keep coming back to it because I mean really it drives me nuts it was one of the big impetuses for me to create this show because I had people talking to me like that from multiple angles you know like yeah and and it it was infuriating it was like like what what are you trying to get done here you are pushing me like I want to go further right right now <laughs> because of what you're telling me. Like, I you know I've I've had many conversations with folks that their approach is so so nasty and yeah. so just just not caring or considerate at all that it really pushes you away from it. The the ideas that are valuable in and of themselves. So right. So yeah, I don't know. We gotta you know do 
do ourselves more favors by trying to be kind to each other as we're having these conversations. And I loved the episode that that we did on cocktails and capitalism with you on communicating across divides, because I feel like that one really touched on a lot of the the ways that you can start to really be heard by people and hear people. Um, and, you know, and you're so fucking good at that, Desmond. It's amazing. You're like having conversations with anarchists, with like capitalists, with Republicans. You're like all over the place. I love it. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I just try to talk to people, but like, <laughs> I would thought it was surreal when someone like DM'd me and told me that like their therapist recommended our episode to them. <laughs> That's so good. Oh my that, God. That was, that really like, that was like one of like, it's not like, I, oh, I feel like I'm famous now, but it was just like, holy shit. <laughs> and that Your episode therapist did well. recommended that episode to you? Yeah. Like, oh, oh my God. Fuck yeah. Um, <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I'm glad it's, I mean, I'm glad it, I hope it helped. I, yeah. I mean, I hope it helps somebody. I, uh, but yeah, that, that was a little surreal for me. I mean, I, I think the last thing that I want to mention here hmm. is that um, I, I touched on it briefly before, and I, and I think I'll kind of get into this again uh, in a future episode, but um, changing our voting methods. Mm. I really do believe that that is a way to take a brick out of the wall. Yeah. Um, and this is a this is a terrible like metaphor. So just like, you know, just don't like get too hung up on it. But if like <laughs> if America had like 30 bricks that were like if you were to get through all 30 of them, like we would actually be and like we'd have we'd have yeah. a great country. I yeah. legitimately believe that like changing our voting method to something like ranked choice voting or maybe a different yeah. one along that line, that would be taking a brick out of the fucking wall. Yeah. yeah because yeah. I, I think that what really needs to happen is that like people like the largest block of voters in America are people who don't vote. Mm -hmm. And so it is obvious to me that like, you know, beyond just like reaching out to get more people to vote because people do that every election cycle and it's yeah. not really doing that much. I mean, like yeah. there, there were some gains in 2020, but like in all things considered, like the gap was still, there was like a hundred million people who were eligible to vote who didn't vote. Mm -hmm. and, and so I think in order to turn more people out into believing in things again, like people need more options than Democrats and Republicans. And I don't, yeah. I, I don't think you can yeah. have there be a real third party unless something like ranked choice voting does in fact get established. I'm glad that Alaska did it. Maine did it. It's on the yeah. ballot in Nevada right now. By the time this oh, episode comes out, uh, we'll have the results for that. As of today, when we're recording this, um, it's up. Uh, wow. it's actually, it's winning, but Nevada takes wow. 13 years to apparently process election results. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. that's a whole different conversation, but yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, I hope that we look for more structural reforms like that, because that's one of the ways that we can actually change the system, you know, mm -hmm. like for the, from better. within, yeah. yes, like give more people options, you know, like, yeah. I mean, that would pressure the Dems so much. Yeah. It, it oh really my would. God. They it would really probably would. have to be so much more progressive because they'd be then afraid competing. of losing their power. Yeah. They'd be competing with, with, with the green party, whatever other party. I mean, I, I've been historically against the idea of like voting third party because it doesn't, it won't, it won't do anything in the present system unless we have that ranked choice voting. So exactly. It's, it's the perfect like mitigating factor. It literally yeah. removes the spoiler effect. 
Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I just think like that's such a powerful thing. It gets so many more people like, I guess, involved. It, it allows candidates to truly be independent. Also, mm-hmm. you can oh, be yeah. an independent candidate, like independent mm-hmm. of any party, not just like in the sense of being centrist, but just like mm-hmm. I don't want to run on the back of any one political party. I just want to run as me and my ideas. And you can do that with ranked choice voting. So I, I think that you know, like that needs to be one of the things that changes. And that's kind of like how I want to close all this out talking about like something structurally that can be reformed, because I think that might be what's keeping some people from unifying is thinking like, oh, well, even if we unify, things won't change. It's like, no, we can do both at the same time. Yeah, 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 totally. And so, oh, go ahead. uh, (laughs) Well, when you get um, ranked choice voting in Montana, what um, are you going to, are you going to run as an independent? (laughs) I don't think I'm capable of being a politician. There, I, there's such I a level of <laughs> there's such a level of just like I guess like being fake that goes into it. Oh yeah, you know, like, and I do not have the ability to lie to people, at least not convincingly. I mean, yeah. it's it'd be all over my face. You yeah, know? <laughs> like, yeah. Like, so but maybe I that's just... not a bad thing. I mean, maybe a, a very honest, can't, you know politician that can't lie and that people trusted that way would be a really good refreshing thing for once you know i mean that's what they said about trump oh god he tells the truth oh jesus christ (laughs) Uh, no i mean i don't i don't know i mean i i've thought about it. it it would I don't know. It's something that I I would it would depend on what the race was. <laughs> I mean, maybe something very local, like a state legislature seat. You know, something mm-hmm. something that's to that effect. I mean, there's I don't know. The 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 state of Montana is a little um it it's both encouraging and discouraging at the same time. I I think it's mm. probably the most progressive red state in, huh. which is it's a weird that's a weird sentence to throw yeah. out there. <laughs> But that, that's probably a conversation I'd want to dive into deeper at, at another yeah, time. But totally. I, I think the political landscape up here is very unique and it, it keeps me it keeps me very hopeful that things can change in other places, too. Mm-hmm, totally. But on that note, Erica, <laughs> sorry to, to make you answer that question. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Eric, I appreciate you coming on and, you know, thanks again for coming back for this little epilogue portion of the episode. And again, for those who have not already, uh, check us out on Instagram and Twitter, um, Independent Thought, obviously, and Cocktails and Capitalism. Check out the podcast. Please go subscribe. And if you are in a position to, uh, we both have Patreons that will go directly towards supporting the work. And yeah, yeah, thank you to everyone out there who's listening to this episode and take care. We'll see you in the next one. Thank you, Desmond. This is great. (laughs) 